Glory to God. Everybody good? I hope you are. If you're not, that's not my fault. Yep. Well, thank you, Lord. I'm going to read these scriptures to you here and try to give you this message. If the Lord don't help me, it's going to be bad. I also want to say in light of uh, Marlon and one other person that have just wore me out lately about the New Living Translation. I was just getting pounded, so I said, okay, I give. I'm going to read through the Bible, the New Living Translation, which has been pretty good, Marlon. You were right. So I'm going to, all these verses, are, all these, this is the translation I'm going to use this morning, which is really good. Um, so there's lots of great translations out there. I like to read different translations. They kind of give you a little different thought. But this, what I'm talking to you about this morning is when the Lord called Matthew... Uh, who became one of his apostles and wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Okay, because I think there's something in there, there's a lot in there actually, that's very profound for all of us, because the Lord's called every one of us in this room. He spoke to us and asked us to follow him. Okay, he really has. He didn't ask us just to get saved, he asked us to really follow him. Amen. And I really want to know, are you a follower of the Lord this morning? We sing about following the Lord, didn't we? You know, so we've got to ask ourselves, are we really, you know, there was a book a few years ago, I never read the book, I sort of like the, the title, Are You a Fan or a Follower of Christ? You know, a lot of fans out there that cheer on Jesus, like, yay, Jesus, but they don't follow Jesus. You know, it's a challenge to follow Jesus sometimes, right? He leads you into some, some crazy places. Uh, he leads some people into the city council meeting. Right, he led Paul into many of those kinds of meetings, <laughs> you know. So I want to encourage us today about about following the Lord uh, and being real followers of the Lord in every area of our life, not just your you know Sunday morning, but every area that really follow the Lord, be led by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Um, so there's a lot in this. Uh, so let me just read the story right quick. It's uh, Matthew nine nine through thirteen. As Jesus was walking along. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. That's real, all this is really important. Follow me and be my disciple. Note, note that. Follow me and be my disciple. That means a disciple meant somebody that's going to learn something. That means they were going to be a student. That means that they were going to learn something they didn't know and that what they was going to gather, that it was going to change their life. Okay? It wasn't just follow and just kind of go on and think the way you've always thought. He wants something different in all of us this morning. He wants a new way of thinking. He wants us to, to see the world different and see our lives different and see what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, so Matthew got up and followed him. Isn't that an amazing thing? <laughs> he just got up and went with him. There was no arguments. There was no conversation. The Holy Spirit had been working on Matthew behind the scenes. That, don't you imagine that? He, what, this wasn't just a spur of the moment. I'm sure that he had heard about Jesus and he had a lot of conviction in his life because of, of the way he had been living. I'll talk about that in just a minute. And so later, later we don't, it doesn't tell us how much later, but it was later Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as a dinner guest. That's, that's cool, isn't it? Um, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. <laughs> don't you love how that says that? Disreputable sinners. Yeah, maybe there's reputable sinners, right? There is reputable sinners. Those people that are doing that city council meeting, they're reputable sinners. They have a good reputation in town. They're governmental leaders. They have a good reputation, and we honor their position. But the truth is, they're just reputable sinners. That's all they are, just reputable sinners. Now, this, this crowd was not of that. 
Uh, let me just tell you this little story about me and Becky. Okay? There's, there is reputable sinners, Becky. There's disreputable sinners. You know the thing that they teach, there's fr- Sunday morning flesh, Becky. That's nice. Y'all didn't get that Sunday morning. And then there's Saturday night flesh, me. So that's sort of the way our marriage was. I'm thankful that she was a reputable sinner, okay, because I was a bad disreputable sinner. And she kind of helped me not be so disreputable, and the Holy Spirit helped us both to quit living the life of being sinners and made us followers. Amen? Anyways, but when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? So they went from being disreputable sinners to scums. They went downhill in a bad way fast. They were just scums. And so that's how the spiritual leaders in Jesus' day saw people who didn't adhere to their teachings and follow their teachings. They saw them as scums. They saw them as worthless refuse of the earth. And they wanted to know, why is Jesus hanging around with such foolish people? And when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Isn't that that beautiful that Jesus said that? Then he added, now, go and learn something of this scripture. He's quoting an Old Testament scripture, Hosea 6.6. And he actually quoted this twice in, uh, in, in the Gospel of Matthew. I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. You got that? I want you to show. That's what I want you to do. I want you to start doing that. I want you to quit offering sacrifice. In other words, that's, this was a prophetic statement. It wasn't just a personal statement. It was a, it was a personal statement. It was a prophetic statement because what Jesus was declaring to them, and they didn't get it. Nobody was really getting it. He was saying that sacrificial system that had been under the law of Moses up until the time of Jesus was coming to an end. There was a new order. Jesus was bringing a new order into the earth. That's what Jesus did when he was on the earth. He brought the new order. He brought kingdom into the earth. So he's the example of a kingdom man walking on the earth. And he was saying, this sacrifice thing is coming to an end. In just a little while, once he was crucified, that was the last sacrifice as far as God was concerned. That's over. There's this new thing that I want us to to begin to walk in, and that's mercy. Okay? Now, this is really important. This is, this, that right there is huge. But let me go on. It says, For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Isn't that such a beautiful thing? And that's really how we all come to the Lord. Now, there's a lot of things in this uh, about the calling of Matthew that kind of can help us understand the way God thinks and the way His heart is about uh, life and the way He looks at life and the way He does things. And see, that's really what we're wanting to do. We're wanting to know this person, right? Yes or no? Because if you're in the wrong church, if you don't want to know this person, I'm going to tell you that. That's what we're wanting to do. We want to have this relationship with this person, the person of the Holy Spirit who represents the Father and the Son. And so we're, we're endeavoring to, to discover Him in a deeper way and know Him beyond what we've known Him because there's more to Him than we've yet realized. There's things about God we have no clue that even exist. And he is desiring to reveal those things to his people. You know, he just wants us to know. It's like being married. You, you find out stuff about your spouse. Not, 
You think you know her after you've been married a year, you're, you're deluded, right? Like, duh, I didn't ever know that about you, like 35, 40 years later. So that's, that's what we're doing. So here's, here's a few little things, okay? Nobody's really helping me this morning. Am I going to have to do this all by myself? I got the Holy Spirit helping me. But, you know, I'd like for y'all to help too. It's more fun. Number one, Jesus started with belonging. That's, this is really important. Jesus started with belonging. If you think about uh, the information, it doesn't tell us much about Matthew, except he was a tax collector. It tells us, and most ta- tax collectors in Jesus' times, here's how they operate. They didn't have the IRS, which, you know, that might be a blessing, right? Forget that. <laughs> in other words, they didn't have somebody regulating what they were doing on a daily basis. So what they could do, if Rome says, I want you to get 10 bucks a month from everybody, they may say, okay, we need, I need 14 bucks a month from you. Okay, so they were not only taxing people, the tax collectors were, were stealing from people. Remember Zacchaeus? He was the great example. He stole and stole and stole from people. And when he got convicted, he was wanting to pay everybody back and give everything back. So Jesus, knowing that tax collectors in, in his time were despicable people, they were hated because they were considered traitors. They were actually considered like uh, criminals, like mafia kind of, kind of people because they were so, they had betrayed their nation and they were stealing from their people and they were working for the Romans who were the oppressors. Yet Jesus, knowing all this, asked Matthew, Matthew, come and follow me. Come and have a relationship with me. Come and get to know me. Okay? That's, that's what he was saying. Come and get to know me and, and come and learn what I know and come and learn from me. Uh, without any kind, listen, without any kind of conditions attached. He did not say, Matthew, here's what you need to do. You need to clean your act up. You need to stop hanging around with the scum. You need to stop stealing from people. He didn't say any of that to them. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's sort of the thought that Jesus wants, to, wants us to get into our hearts. Okay, so, so the first, he started with belonging. And out of that belonging, and let me call this undeserved belonging. Okay, it was undeserved. He did not do anything to earn the right to be a a disciple of Jesus. He did nothing except he said yes to Jesus. And out of saying yes to Jesus and being with Jesus, his thinking began to be changed. The Bible says it's being transformed. That's the word of the Bible, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. His mind began to get renewed. He began to think different, and therefore he began to act different. That's the way God has designed this thing to work. Okay, he's, that's the order of God. He's not asked us to come in to the kingdom and suddenly be different people and quit doing all these bad things. If he has, none of us in this room, because I promise you everybody in this room is still dealing with stuff from our past history that still has influence on us, that we're still trying to work through and sort through. If, if you're not that awesome, you know. Yeah, so here's number two. That's number one. Jesus starts with belonging. And let me just say this, belonging is everything in the kingdom of God. It's everything. But everybody's looking to belong, whether we realize it or not. And the Holy Spirit, we called him years ago, the spirit of belonging. He's really the spirit of adoption is the technical term the Bible used. 
But we would call him the spirit of belonging because we felt him wooing us and trying to convince us that we belonged. That's what he does. He wants to convince us that we belong to, to God, that we're part of God's family, and that we have a right to be there. So I came up with this new, new title for the Holy Spirit, the spirit of undeserved belonging. That's really important, undeserved belonging. And if you don't know you belong, this is what's going to happen to your life as a believer. If you don't really know you belong in the kingdom, if you don't know you belong in the house of God, your life is going to be, it's going to be a struggle. You're going to, you're going to suffer with resentment, okay? You're going to suffer with envy. You're going to suffer with feeling rejected. Am I talking to anybody in this room this morning? You are never going to measure up. You're always going to feel like you just somehow can't measure up. You're going to feel this, this reproach on you because you're, going to, you're trying to be part of something, but you don't feel like you quite can because somehow or another you're not good enough to be part of it. And your life is going to be marked by relational dysfunction. Okay? You will never be able to celebrate other people's successes because you're going to be so ate up with what you perceive as your failures. And you're going to feel like you're alone a lot, that you're left out, you're on the outside looking in. Am I talking to anybody? Am I the only person who has suffered with that stuff? I remember as a young believer going to church and feeling like I'm the worst person in the room. Look how everybody here loves the Lord and is willing to lay their life down for the Lord, and I'm here daydreaming about bad stuff. You know? And I felt terrible. I just didn't feel like I wanted, felt like I belonged. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you continue down that road long enough, it will push you away. It'll push you away from the Lord. Because you'll feel because ultimately you'll feel like you can never, never get there. It'll just be a struggle for you. And God wants to free people of that. He wants to, he wants to convince you this is, is that He has a place at His table for you. And that nobody else can set it. That's what he, that's what he told me one time. He said, I have a, a spot for you at my table. And nobody can sit in that spot. That spot is reserved for you. Your name's on it. And when you learn to be, begin to believe that, where you can go sit at his table whenever you want to, you don't have to ask to sit. You don't have to try to sit. You just go, you just go and sit. Because you're part of the family. He's the father and he's inviting you into this. Okay, this, that'll, that'll transform you. That'll change your life. That's what happened to Matthew. He was transformed because he was, he was always, he knew he was guilty. He knew that he was looked down upon. He had this thing working in him. But God transformed his life by inviting him in and making him feel at home and giving him a place in his family. Okay? So that's why I say belonging is everything. Oh, Lord, help. Let me give you this word about deserve. Deserve is a powerful word in religion. Y'all know what deserve is? Just like belonging is a, a kingdom powerful word, deserve is the religious powerful word. Deserve means somehow you earn something, good or bad, one way or the other. Okay, that's how religion works. It works often deserve. It doesn't work often undeserved belonging. It works on deserved belonging. In other words, the religious system says, listen, you can be a part, but here's what you've got to do. You've got to do these things 
You've got to act different. You've got to dress different, whatever it might be, whatever religious thing you might be involved in. Then you can belong. That's, how, that's the invitation. So what do we do? We go about trying to change our outward behavior, okay, and try to act different, be different, talk different. But inside, there's that same thing working on you. That same scummy person still in there, struggling and trying to hide and putting on masks. I promise you, y'all, people do that all the time. I promise you there's people sitting in this room today. That's what you're doing. That's whole, your whole relationship with the Lord's based on that. And at the end, that's going to fail for you. You can go literally for years. You can be used by God mightily because Jesus said to some guys who were doing miracles, like, I don't know you. I don't have a relationship with you. He told them that. And so, you know, that's not the way he wants things to work. Let me read this little story right quick. Are y'all good? Are y'all mad? Here's the, sort of the opposite of Matthew's calling. It's Luke 7, verses 2 through 7. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders. Don't you like all this stuff? Highly valued, respected, respected Jewish elders to come and heal his slave. Okay? So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. Earnestly, listen to what they say. If anyone deserves your help. See, that's the highly uh, respected Jewish elders. They operate on deserve. Hey, Jesus, this guy deserves for you to do this thing for him. Because, because, look, this is what he's done to deserve it. He loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. He's earned the right, Jesus, for this miracle. Unlike Matthew, who stole from the people, who took away from the people and hurt the people, this guy was doing something amazing for the Jewish nation. Y'all see this? Everything was built on this, this platform of deserve. Everything. The whole system before Jesus came, the whole system, the whole system was built on a platform of deserve. And Jesus came and says, I'm going to break that. I'm going to build a platform on undeserved where you cannot do enough to deserve anything from me. I'm going to do everything. All you've got to do is believe it. And if you'll believe it and if you'll engage me in it, if you'll say yes to me in it, I will teach you this way. I will enable you this way. And you can walk free of all this shame, okay, and all this trying to do something, trying to get somewhere. Are y'all... Are y'all getting this? Listen, I heard recently about a guy. uh, He was uh, in another country. He was in the government. And he was very high ranking in the government. A powerful man. But he, and he was also a believer. He was a real follower of of the Lord. And this is what he said. He said, people were like, well, how in the world do you, I mean, this is amazing that you've got this and you know, you're just a serious believer, full of the Holy Spirit, and you're high up in this government, all this influence. He said, it is amazing. But he said, let me just tell you something. None of this means anything to me. This doesn't make me. This is not my identity. I have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. I have gone, already gone to the highest place. Everything else, are y'all getting this? Everything else is a step down in my life. 
That's how this guy really saw that. Therefore, God was able to entrust to him a lot of authority and power. I think that's amazing. That's really what God wants to do. That was a man who, who understood undeserved, undeserved favor, undeserved belonging. He understood that. He walked in it. Well, here's the way this story goes on. Y'all know this story. Uh, so Jesus went with them. He was going. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends saying, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home. This guy has some, some stuff going on him. Listen to what they say. For I am not worthy of such an honor. In other words, I don't deserve this. I haven't done anything to get you to come to my home. I, you know, I don't want you coming like that. He knew more, way more than those Jewish leaders, and he was a Roman soldier. I don't want that to happen. That's not how I want to live. I, I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. I don't, I'm not doing anything. I, I, there's no reason for this to happen is what he was telling Jesus. Except for he had this clue about Jesus. Jesus operated on undeserved blessings. And Jesus also had, could do whatever he wanted to from wherever he was because he, this guy understood spiritual authority. And he got the miracle. If you read the rest of the story, he got the miracle. This, the guy was healed. Jesus said, like, wow. And in fact, Jesus said, I've never seen such faith. This guy gets it. He gets where my heart is. He gets how I want to flow here. A lot of Christians don't get that today. You know, the primary uh, focus, I wanted to say this one more time to remind us. The primary focus of re- religion is, is what you do. Okay, it's what you do. That's the whole focus. What you do, and I'll tell you something, it's, it's the ultimate lie. If, you're, if, the, if everything, if a lot of you, whatever area of your Christian life is based on what you do, it's, an, it's the lie that's destroying you. It's the lie that's binding you. It's the lie that's going to hold you back from coming into everything God has for you. And wherever those lies are in you, that's what we need to be asking the Lord to show us those lies. Show us the lies where it says to me, that I'm saying to myself, I've got to do this for God to be happy or for God to use me or for God to bless my finances or for God to heal me or for God to do whatever he said he was going to do in my life. If I have set myself up, I think this is pretty amazing, really. I mean, this is victory. This is freedom when we can get rid of all that stuff. This will, is what will change your life. This will change your life more than any kind of somebody praying for you. You know, this is what will set you free because you'll get free inside. And when you get free inside, you can live free on the outside. And this is where God wants to bring it. I feel like I'm trying to work too hard with y'all. Because I'm not, I'm, I'm thinking I'm talking to some people who's not convinced. But I'm going to tell you something. You're looking at a person who's very convinced. Because you're looking at a guy who lived in, in the deserved world. I lived the deserved world. For a long time as a believer in Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. That world about destroyed me. And I want to be free of that world completely. So here's how you get free. Jesus told us. Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. So he was saying this is how you start breaking that spirit off in you. As you switch from doing to mercy. Now, mercy is really an important aspect of God. It's a very powerful aspect of God. And in fact, it is an underplayed hand in the church. Okay, let me read this. Oh, I love this. 
Ooh, mercy, Lord. Well, 40, about 40 years ago, I went, that's a long time, 40 years. I can't believe I'm, I can give testimonies of something that happened to me 40 years ago. It's like, dang, oh, man, I've gotten old, Lord. How old was I then, five? <laughs> you know, I must be, <laughs> it's terrible when you have that, man. Like, how long have you been married? I don't know, you know, 42 years. <laughs> that's a long time. It's longer for Becky than me, though. Right, like, oh, I don't know. I've been married so long, she said one day, I don't even know what life was like before I got married. <laughs> Anyways, so I went through this, Becky and I went through this, like, devastating season in our life. And when I, it, it was really the worst thing I've ever gone through in my life. And I've gone through a lot of bad stuff since then. I mean, terrible stuff, just, just crushed, you know. I've, but this time, but this was more, it was personal, you know, it was me, it was us as a family, and I, we were crushed, we were crushed beyond measure, and all our dreams in God, and everything about God that we believed felt destroyed. The God that we thought we knew was not the God we knew. You, you understand what I'm saying? God would turn out to be something different than we thought. God turned out something different than we had bargained for. We were young believers. And so we were at this crush point, and we were at this, this point of, of, of almost despair. We weren't thinking, quit following the Lord and quit being believers, but we were thinking, We've, what in the world, Lord? How are we going to be able to live our life like this? Because we were, we were just broken. And it's almost we were shattered in our hearts. Am I talking to anybody? And I know many people have been shattered in this room. And so I can, I, I can remember, just like yesterday, in fact, I can remember laying on the bed. I can remember the color of the bread, bed strip spread. <laughs> it was the yellow thing. It had these leaves or something on it. It was plain ugly, but, you know. <laughs> But I'll tell you, we were happy to have it because we were poor, very poor at that time. You know, we were real, you know, we were like food stamp level poor and beyond. You know, we, it, was, it was just, it was every, every part of our life was touched. It was like every part of our life was crushed. There was no area of our life that was prosperous and blessed that we could, like, lean into. It was every, every turn we made. It, was, it felt like God was against us. That's the way it felt, that God was angry with us. We know he wasn't, but we didn't then. And I remember just laying on that bed one day with the Bible trying to be spiritual and find out what was going on. And the, I got this, I started reading Lamentations chapter 3. That's, everybody say Lamentation. You know what Lamentation means. Oh, Lord, that's a rough road. I, and I'm not going to read it all, but I want to tell you, read it sometimes. It, start out, it starts out, I'm a man who's seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. That's how it starts. I was reading and thinking, oh, my gosh, God's talking to me because I felt that way. I felt I am being afflicted. God's afflicting me. And, and it goes through this grind. And it was Jeremiah who wrote Lamentations. And he wrote it when Jerusalem fell and rat was ravaged. The walls were torn down. Everything was burnt. And the people were hauled off to Babylon or hauled off to be prisoners Everybody except for very poor, broken people or really old people. They were left. They left because the, they didn't feel like dragging them along. They were going to die on the way, so they just left them there to die on their own. 
And so this is how Lamentations, this is the background of Lamentations. That's why Jeremiah was saying all this stuff because he was expressing the heart of broken and crushed people. Even though his theology may have not been perfect, he was not trying to give perfect theology. He was not trying to tell people God's a wrath of God. He was saying, this is what I feel like when I am broken to pieces and all my hopes and all my dreams are gone. If people try to use certain things that are said in the Bible to condemn God when it's a human experience expressing their pain that we all do or we all need to enter into. King David would, if you read some of the Psalms, he would say some outlandish things in his broken moments. But if you keep reading on down, things would shift. Life would shift in his heart, in his mind. He would come to the right conclusion about the Lord. Jeremiah comes to the right conclusion. And all his sorrow and all his brokenness, all his disappointment, he was one, the one of the ones left. He was probably crippled from being thrown in a well and made to live there at one point because he kept warning everybody, this is going to happen. This place is coming down. You don't tell... You don't tell an Israeli that Jerusalem's coming down. I, I can promise you that. You, tell, you, you go tell one today, you might get punched in the mouth. They, they don't believe that. They didn't believe it then. Yet it happened. And so he, he said in verse 20, this is, this is really what helped me at that moment because I was going through, relating, you know, my cedars like chewing gravel is one of the verses. I mean, all this crazy stuff. He's, and then he said this in verse 20, I will never forget this awful time. I will never forget it as I grieve over my loss. I'll never forget it, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm grieving over it. You can't block it out. You can't ignore it. You know, you've got you to gotta process it. You've got you to gotta go through it. You gotta, even, even in that moment when you might be thinking, God is doing this to me, you've got to process it. Or you, you'll live an unhealthy Christian life. And sooner or later, it's going to catch you. It's going to catch up with you and pull you down. Are y'all following this? Yet, this is what got me. Yet, I still dare to hope. I'm thinking when I first read Lord, how are you hoping in a God that's that mean? How are you hoping in a God that destroyed your nation and all your friends were drug off as prisoners your women and your children were raped and pillaged and your babies will be slaves for the rest of their life how could you have hope in a God like that how could you how could you put yourself in his shoes think about your wife your babies your friends you know it are y'all all right at Masada, you know that thing, Masada in Israel? Go there when you go to Israel. You know what they did when they, the Romans, this was the last, you know, like Custer's last stand? Well, that was their last stand. They were up there, and it was a stronghold, and they couldn't, they surrounded them. They couldn't get them for a long time. They had food and water to last for a long time. And But finally, the, the Romans finally were fixing them. They knew they were going to break through the next day, and they knew the end was there. And you know what they did? 
they killed themselves because they were said it would be better for us to die at our own hands than for to watch our wives be be raped before our eyes, watch our old people be killed, watch our babies marched off to be slaves for the rest of their life. And so they killed themselves. And so that was a really conversation we had over there. I said, what would you do? I'm like, well, I don't think I'm killing myself. I think they're going to have to kill me. That's what I thought. I'm going down fighting. I ain't going to stick no sword in my heart. I'll fight those guys to the death to the end. They'll have to kill me. I ain't going to be taken captive. It was, a, it was a good thought to think that, especially when you're there in that place and the intensity of that place. It's a very intense place. So... Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Listen, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. See, he, he, he was looking around him and he was seeing destruction. He was seeing loss in his heart. He, and he was saying things that Jeremiah knew were not 100% right, but because of his grief and because of the pain that he was in, the process, it was not like God was offended. It was like God was like, vent on, bud. You need to vent on. You need to process this. You need to grieve over this. But he came to this place, and he said, I'm remembering about the love of God. Even though nothing looks like love, it looks like hate. But I remember this God that has loved me and cared for me. And I know deep in my heart that God really is loving and he's not wrathful. That's what he was saying here. This is amazing. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. No matter what's happening in your life. It never ends. That's what he was remembering. And then he says, his mercies never cease. His mercies never cease. Another, another version says they're new every morning. Yeah, every morning. Every morning. Have you ever sinned, like badly, where you felt bad about it? Or are you just too good for that? Or maybe you're a good liar. I'm not telling everybody at church I've done that. How dare they know my secret thoughts? How dare they know how I treated my wife that was bad or my children? How dare they know that? Now, have you ever sinned like that? Well, you know, that's why this is one of my favorite scriptures. I think I've quoted it more than any other scripture in my life because there's been times like, Lord, I'm just sorry. I'm sorry. And I think about, but your mercies are new. I can start and have a new day right now regardless of what I've done because your mercies are new every day. I can step in to a new level of mercy even when I've been as bad as I can get. You really can. And when you begin to live that way, it changes you. It makes you not want to do bad things. It makes you not want to think bad things because you're walking in mercy you're walking in love. And this is the beautiful thing. Great is His faithfulness, His mercy. Begins. It's, it's, this is key for hope. If, it's hope follows love and mercy. That's the key for hope. The key for hope is knowing God's love and knowing His merciful heart. And see, if we don't have that, our hope is always going to be damaged. It's always going to be struggling. We're going to look at the future and not see a good future. Because our past has been so destructive. Or what's happening to us right now is so hurtful to us. 
And that's what got me out of that moment. That's what gave me a glimmer of hope in my life. That my life will not stay this way. I will not stay crushed forever. Somehow, God is going to get into my mess. Somehow, He's going to fix some things for me. He's going to make some things right for me. He may never explain to me why he let my baby die or why my car was wrecked and I almost got killed. He may never explain why I couldn't get a job and I had to go on food stamps and use credit cards to feed my family. He may never have a word for that. But I can tell you this. He started giving me hope because I started thinking about his love and I started thinking about his mercy. Just like that's what that told me to do. It's like the word of the Lord came to me and started giving me instructions. And I decided I'm going to have to do that or I'm going to not make this thing. And I had a wife and a little baby and another little boy and they were needing me to be a spiritual man. They were needing me to do what Nehemiah said when they were about to be pulled down. Listen, guys, remember your families. Remember your wives. Remember your children. Remember, Remember the Lord. Don't become chickens in your life. Don't give up. Don't curse God and die thing. Woo, mercy, Lord. Isn't that good? It's powerful. And so that's been like the beautiful scripture for me because, because of what the Lord did for me. He got me out. Let me just say this. He didn't get me out of it the next day. It was, a lot, it was a process, but he got me. He, he turned things around little by little by little and even explained some things. He finally explained some things. He gave us scriptures that gave us rest about what happened. Gave us peace because we knew everything's in his hands. He's taken care of it. But let me just tell you this about another thing about mercy. Oh, God. Woo, y'all got a couple more minutes. Let me finish, please. Anyways, I would feel disappointed if I didn't get to. Uh, so I, I figured this thing out. I, this is like you stumbling into something. Uh, have you ever stumbled into something good? You know, like, oh, I just stumbled into something really good. I wasn't planning on this. Uh, it's what Bob Jones always told me. He said, I didn't choose to be a prophet. I just happened to be leaning on the right door, and it opened, and I fell into that room. That's hopeful to me, like, hot dog. That means there's a door somewhere for me I can lean on, and God may let it open. I stumbled into this mercy thing one day in prayer when I really was in a kind of a fix in my life. And I said, Lord, please have mercy on me. Just have mercy on me. And, and God, I, w- there was a phone call that happened. Within an hour, God delivered me out of my bad mess. And so I went to looking at mercy, and I discovered something. I discovered in the Bible, in the New Testament, okay, this is the truth, in the New Testament, when anybody, I cannot find one place in the Gospels where someone went to Jesus and said, have mercy on me or have mercy on my daughter, that he did not do a miracle. Every time. Here's just a few I wanted to tell you. Y'all remember the Syrophoenician woman who went to Jesus? She said, Lord, have mercy on my daughter. Remember the father who had the son that had seizures? He kept getting thrown into water and thrown in the fire. Jesus said, how long has this been going on? You know what he said? Lord, have mercy. Because they were arguing like, you know, and Jesus said, if y'all don't see a miracle, you won't believe. And this guy said, forget all that. Just have mercy on my son. Just have mercy. And you know what? Jesus healed him. Jesus delivered him. Bartimaeus. Remember old blind Bartimaeus? Blind 
he hears about Jesus coming down the road, and he starts screaming out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Everybody around him was saying, shut up. Just knock it off. Don't bother him. He's on a mission. He's too important for you. He doesn't have time for your blind, raggedy, scummy self. But he wouldn't do it. And when Jesus heard him say, have mercy, it stopped Jesus in his tracks. It was like heaven hit Jesus and says, you can't make another, you can't make another step. And he said, bring him to me. Bring him to me. And the guy, it says the guy left his cloak, which spoke of his begging lifestyle. He walked and went to Jesus. And Jesus said, what do you want? He said, I want to see. He said, okay. And he healed him. All because the man cried out for mercy. That's amazing to me. Oh, you remember the ten lepers that Jesus healed in Luke 17? There was ten of them. You know, one of them came back. Uh, They cried for mercy. Have mercy on us and heal us. And Jesus healed every one of them. I just want, this is a side note, is I was thinking about this recently. Uh, Only one of them came back to thank Jesus, right? That expressed thankfulness. But I guarantee you those other nine's hearts were full of gratitude, right? Like, hot dog, man, I'm healed. I'm, I'm not an outcast no more. I'm whole. I have missing parts of my body that I got back. They were full of gratitude, but they never said it. They never went to Jesus and said, Lord, thank you for doing this for me. You see, that's, that's something that's important to the Lord. I just want to say it. Telling the Lord, thank you. Not just thanking thank you, but actually saying, Lord, thank you. I really appreciate you doing that for me. I appreciate you answering that prayer. I appreciate you did from what you did for my child. You know, I appreciate you giving me this job. Whatever it might be, actually saying that instead of just feeling like, oh, I'm so thankful the Lord did this for me, but never saying it to him. So there's a difference between gratitude and thankfulness. That's a side point. Okay, y'all good? All right, in the Old Testament, I'll just tell you this a couple of stories. In the Old Testament, the priests cried out and saying mercy when they were dedicating the temple, the Lord's full of mercy and loving and kindness. And guess what happened? The glory of God fell in the place. And the, they had to get out. They had to get out of the room. Get, can you imagine? We went to church one Sunday. We was worshiping. And all of a sudden, the glory of God came. And we was like, we got to get out of here or we're going to die. It was so powerful. They had to get out of the building. The worship team had to throw their instrument down and run because God's presence was so intense. That's the dream. There was another time they were surrounded. Israel was surrounded by powerful enemies. And they sang a song about the mercy of the Lord. And it says God brought division and the enemy started fighting each other. And they had deliverance. See, God's mercy is very powerful. Now, let me, I'm, I'm almost done, y'all. Y'all good? I'm almost done. I want to tell you, this is my whole thing. I wanted to give you these two scriptures. It's, is what I'm talking to you about is a revelation of God the Father. This is, this is what I'm talking to you about. That the Father, this is who the Father is. Listen, 2 Corinthians 1, 3. All praise to God. Listen, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting. God is our merciful Father. And source of all comfort. There's a few... Have you ever thought about Paul... It bothered me after I started really getting into this revelation of God as my father that Paul did not address God as father a lot. Like, what, what's wrong with this guy? Of all people, he had this revelation that God was a father. This is why I believe he didn't. The same reason 
you wouldn't if you went to the nation of Paraguay and went into a school and started talking about the father because you have a bunch of children there that were raped by their father and beaten by their father and almost killed by their father. You would talk about God. Eventually, you would bring them in to understanding that God is, the father is not your dad. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying to you? See, God, I believe that's why Paul would always, because he was trying to get to people's hearts, and then he could get to their revelation. But there's a few times in the Bible that he addressed a title given to God. This is the two of them right here, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of all mercies. Really important that we begin to see that God the Father is a... And when we begin to get a revelation of the Father, we'll begin to get a revelation of mercy because that's what He is. If there's mercy, He birthed it. If there's mercy, He released it. In fact, Psalm 84 says before God does anything, He releases mercy before Him. Before He does a thing on there, before there's ever a revival, before there's a healing, whether we know it or not, God has released mercy for it. And it also says, after God has done something, He covers everything He does with mercy. Isn't that something? Everything God does is covered with mercy. It's a powerful revelation when you get to walk in it because that's not just a title given to God. That's who God is. The Father is a Father of mercy. And He wants His children to know that. And He wants us to partake of that mercy. And He wants us to give that mercy. Last scripture. Woo, mercy, Lord, right? Oh, I had a, a friend, a pastor of mine, he said, Byron, I'm going to learn how to pray like you do. That's what he said to me, like, well, don't. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. You learn how to pray like I do, son, you're going to have some trouble. It will mess your theology up. He said, I said, well, why do you say that? He said, because this is what you are saying. If we talk about a problem in our community or in one of our churches, and this is what you always say, mercy, Lord. Uh, oh, yeah, I didn't really realize I did that. I don't know where I got that prayer from, but I, I'm going to stick him with it. You know, mercy, Lord, mercy. You're releasing the Father over that situation. You're releasing him into that. You're releasing his mercy to go to work. It says this, uh, Psalm 119, verse 132. There's a lot of verses in Psalm 119. Okay. <laughs> If you want to read Psalm 119, make sure you've got plenty of time because there's many verses. It's the longest verses thing in the Bible. Come and show me your mercy as you do for all who love your name. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, what they were saying is, God, I see you having mercy on everyone around me. How about giving me some? Don't you like that? I love that. In other words, what the psalmist was telling us as believers, we should be pursuing mercy. We should be asking God, Lord, I need some mercy here. I got a situation, Lord. I need some mercy in this situation. I got a relationship situation. I just had a bad fight with my best friend. I need some mercy in this situation. I got a financial calamity happening in my life. I'm about to lose everything. I need some mercy. I can't feed my family, Lord. I can't find a job. I can't even wash people's windows for them. I'm turned out at every corner, Lord. I need some mercy. My heart's broken, Lord. I've lost a loved one. Tragically, I need some mercy, Lord. That's really what God wants us to do. 
He wants us because he's a father of mercies. And when we're saying that to him, we're engaging his father's heart. And we're bringing the father's heart into our life in a very practical and a very real way that has huge impact on our life. We're bringing his love into our life. We're bringing his mercy in our life. And it's going to cause hope to arise in our hearts. And when you have hope, you can have faith. Your faith gets activated and you can begin not only just to ask, you can begin to declare things and say, this situation is going to be fixed because the faith of God's flowing in you at that moment. Are y'all good? Are you ready to stop? I'm done. I want to do this, though. Give me a minute. Let's stand up, okay? I think this is important because I don't believe in preaching and not giving God a chance to do what you preached about, right? That's the whole point, right? You're not just trying to learn something. You're trying to know something, not learn. Know something by revelation. But if you have something in your life today, practical, job, relationship, finances, health, I want you to come stand up here at the front. And I'm going to ask everybody else in this room to point their hands at you and pray for the mercy of the Lord to come into your situation. You can declare your situation. You can declare it over your life. You can begin to declare it over, over that thing that's happening in your life that's wounding you and hurting you or is holding you back. Because the Lord is merciful. And what we're doing is we're appealing to His Father's heart. And we're saying, Father, we're your children. We belong to you. You said we had access to what's in your house. Mercy is full. His house is full of mercy. We're, we're saying if your house and your refrigerator is stocked, if your cupboards are stocked with mercy, I'm reaching my hands into heaven. I'm reaching my hands into your heart this morning, and I'm going to grab me a chunk of mercy, and I'm going to drop it right down in this situation, and I'm going to see you do what only you can do. Because I can't fix this. I can't make this right. But your mercy can shift things. Your mercy can change lives. Your mercy can heal lives. Your mercy can do miracles. Be like the man who had the child that the devil was trying to destroy. Causing seizures. Throwing him in the water, throwing him in the fire. The daddy was scared to death. Just say, Lord, have mercy on this situation. Lord, I ask you for mercy. I ask you for mercy tomorrow night at that city council meeting. We're just crying out to you for your mercy today, Lord. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on our family. Have mercy on our children, Lord. Have mercy on our finances, Lord. Some of you need mercy over your past. Because your past seems to be the thing. Lord, have mercy over our past. Lord, you said your mercies are new every morning. I, I get the feeling... This is what I feel, okay? I feel like God is saying, I've got something for you. But you, I don't have people who want to reach in and take it. I'm looking for the takers who are willing to say, I'm going to get a hold of this mercy. If you're providing mercy, who am I not to say, I need mercy, Lord? Who am I? If you need a healing, Lord, heal. Lord, do miracles. 
That Syrophoenician woman, Jesus said, this, this healing's not for you, you guys. It's for the Jewish people. And she said, well, you know. He said, you don't take the children's bread and give it to the dogs, which could have been an insult. I don't know. But I do know this. She said, yeah, that's true. You don't give the children's bread to dogs. But the little puppies lick, lick the crumbs from under the table. That's mercy. And when she said that, the Lord like, your healing's done. The mercy's been released. It's been released. I, I, can't, I can't withstand that. I can't resist that. I want this mercy to be released. I believe God is saying, that's why he said, I want you to learn. I want you to show mercy and not do sacrifice. I want us to stop doing sacrifices. I want us to stop trying to make God happy. I want us to settle something today that God is happy because of Jesus Christ. That God says what Jesus did is enough. And we're going to rely on His finished work that God's satisfied. And we're just going to say, we're going to start showing mercy instead of trying to get something from God. We're going to release the mercy He's already given us. And more mercy is going to flow. If God's got issues with you about something, He'll talk to you about it. He'll talk to you. He'll give you mercy. And then he say, you know, we might need to have a conversation about that, like he did with, with Peter that day. Like, hey, we need to talk about this thing you're trying to tell me to do. That's not, that's from Satan. That's, that's satanic. Let's don't do that. You know? It doesn't mean that God, the Holy Spirit doesn't convict. All that. We're in, yeah. Convict us. Make us feel sorrowful. I was telling you, that's what I do. I get up and feel bad. Sorrowful is conviction. It's the Holy Ghost telling me that was wrong, Byron. Mercy, Lord. Okay, you got mercy. Sometimes He'll tell you to go and make it right with the person. So, Lord, we just ask you today, all these people standing here that need mercy, and I'm, I'm standing with them, Lord. I, I need a lot of mercy in my life. Some of you, your future is unclear right now. You're questioning your future. The Lord says in Psalm 84 that He sends mercy out in front of us. He's, and I want you to tell you that. If your future is unclear today, God is saying, I'm, mercy is going before you. Mercy is in front of you. Don't worry. Just keep going. As you well know, just keep going and you're going to walk into mercy. Mercy is going to be there. You're not going to, you're not going to be messed up. You're not going to be left hanging out the dry. God will not forsake you. He will not leave you out to dry. It may not come in your time, but there's mercy to get through the time until the time comes. There's mercy. So don't, when you look at your future, see mercy. See love. And your hope will start coming. And your faith will start coming. And then you can begin to speak some things and shift some things. So, Lord, I just want to release that for those in the room that are struggling about their future. I just release that to them, that they would know your mercy is going before them. 
Their, your mercies, they're already there in their future, waiting on them to get there. And they're going to not only experience mercy today, they will experience tomorrow and beyond. We just release that today to them, Lord. Mercy. You know, for those of you who have long-standing prayers, oh, Lord, who doesn't? Who doesn't have prayers? Like, Lord, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? this I know you want to do it. I know it's your will. What's holding it up? Lord, we just release mercy into that right now. We just release mercy into these people who've been crying out for healing and who are chronically sick and chronically broken in their life. Lord, we're releasing mercy to them today, Lord. We just release mercy, Lord. Ooh, Lord Jesus, you're good. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Lord, let us be a people known as people of mercy. Mercy. Mercy and love, Lord. Grace and truth, Lord. There's another scripture that says, uh, Mercy and truth go out from God's throne. Mercy. Mercy always flows with truth. Okay? Have truth with God. Don't lie to yourself. Don't, and, and mercy is going to be right there for you. Mercy and truth flow together. They walk together. You, in other words, you can't really have truth without mercy. And you can't really have mercy without truth. And here's the real truth. God's the Father of mercies. That's what He wants you to know today. And Jesus Christ came and gave the world mercy. The world needs to receive His mercy. If they're unsaved, they need to get His mercy. They need to tap into His mercy. Amen. We thank you for that to look today, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. Just uh, touch somebody next to you and say, Mercy, Lord. Mercy, Lord. Mercy, Lord. Yeah, amen. Amen. Yeah, that was a powerful one. So if you have the message to come up to, and if you need Father prayer and people agree with you, please make your way up. If not, I pray that the mercy of God will go with you. Amen.